Register now for the Packet Pushes live stream with sponsored Glueware happening September 28th, 2021. The topic, low-code network automation. No one's going to bother you after the event unless you opt in for follow-up. And scheduled speakers include Terry Slattery, the first CCIE. So register at packetpushers.net slash livestream. That's packetpushers.net slash livestream. Subspace is your network provider for real-time applications. Subspace uses their own global network and deeply intelligent routing algorithms to make sure your traffic takes the lowest latency path between two points with outstanding jitter and drop performance when compared to the public internet. Accelerate your applications at ftl.app slash packet pushers. And we thank Subspace for being a sponsor. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Full Stack Journey podcast, where we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional. This is episode 58. I want to thank you all for listening. My name is Scott Lowe, and I am your host. My goal today, as always, is to help equip and prepare listeners for their journey of learning across the full stack of technologies that are present in today's data centers and cloud environments. Now, if you hear a little bit of uh, something in my voice, it's because I'm actively recovering from COVID. Uh, thankfully, the vaccination saved me from the worst of the symptoms, so I'm on the on the mend. But uh, if you do hear something, a little something different in my voice, that's why. Um, if you like what you hear, I'll see if I can try and replicate that in a, in a future episode. So just let me know. Drop me, drop me a note. In any case, um, joining me today is uh, Nick Cordy. Nick, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Scott. Glad to hear you're feeling better. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a, been a difficult couple of weeks, uh, but as I said, we're on the mend. So uh, thankful for that. Um, so Nick, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, really thrilled to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, why don't you just take, you know, a couple minutes and sort of tell the listeners who you are and who is this, this guy that's on the Full Stack Journey podcast? Sounds great. Thanks again for having me, Scott. So my name is Nick Cordy. Uh, by day, I am a senior solution engineer at VMware. That's my primary job today. Uh, as far as background goes, I'm in Fort Worth, Texas, married with a 11-year-old daughter. And I actually started my career, professional career, as a math teacher. So I taught high school math for three and a half years, Algebra 1, Algebra 2, AP Calculus. It was pretty fun. Decided that I wanted to focus more on being a dad than than on school because I was too dedicated. So I went into the professional world and worked for a, a benefits administration company, learned a little bit about databases and kind of fell into an IT job in a manufacturing company. It was part analyst, part IT, turned into help desk, systems administration, a little bit of everything. Small company, you get to be the jack of all trades. I was there for about nine years, did a lot of VMware centric things toward the end and moved on to an HR services company for about a year and got to rebuild their infrastructure and, and do a lot of systems administration for them and then moved into VMware. And by night, I am the co-host of the Nerd Journey podcast with John White, where we give listeners the career advice we wish we've been given earlier in our careers. Very awesome. Very awesome. So uh, fellow, fellow podcaster here and, uh, you know, I might say, um, you know, similar sort of uh, vein in terms of doing the the day job thing and then doing the, the podcast at night and 
You know, I think uh, you also uh, blog some as well. Is that right, Nick? I do. I, my blog is blog.thenetworknerd.com. So I try to post at least once a month. Don't always get there, but try to keep a constant stream. Sometimes it's technical things. Sometimes it's career-focused things. Got it. Got it. And so you've got the podcast. You've got your your blog. Um, do you uh, want to share like a Twitter handle or anything like that in case uh, sure. listeners want to try and follow you online? On Twitter, I am at networknerd underscore. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn, Nick Cordy. You'll find me. No problem. Great. Well, thanks for that, Nick. I appreciate it. So the the conversation that I wanted to have uh, today is really about, um, in some ways, stems from from your podcast. And I know that you recently, uh, you wrote a blog post and it showed up in my feed. Um, I think I might have seen it um, from a post in the in the V-Expert community. Um, I don't recall, but um, I remember reading the, the, the blog post and thinking about, you know, like there's, this is a very specific sort of thing that happened, right? Uh, but it seems like it felt like there was perhaps some larger career lessons that perhaps could be extracted out of this specific thing. And since, you know, you're doing a podcast on, you know, career advice we wish we'd had, and I'm talking about, you know, the ongoing journey of learning and that kind of thing, it kind of made sense to have you come on and talk a little bit about that and, and just kind of bounce back and forth some of the, some of the thoughts and, and things that happened around here. So why don't we start with just kind of you recapping for listeners the story that you uh, shared in that blog post and, and listeners all include a link to the blog post in the show notes so that you can uh, follow along for yourselves uh, when you start listening to the episode. Well, this year, the Nerd Journey podcast turned three years old. So it had been three years since we released our trailer back in July of 2018. And each year I try to post a reflection. And interestingly enough, this particular year was really different for me in terms of the lessons that I learned because at one point my co-host told me, hey, I, I may have to step away from the podcast because we're we're trying to buy a house and I think I just... I'm not going to be able to focus on it. <laughs> and it was one of those deals where, as you know, Scott, you know, you've got to, you have to get the guests on the show. You have to write the show notes. You have to do the editing, decide what's going to be in the interview and then push it out to the masses, right? Schedule it, post it, make a blog post, all that good stuff. And what happened was, is I was very good at doing show notes and getting people to be interviewed and helping to make outlines for the show. But I didn't know how to edit the podcast. That was all John White. He was the audio techno nerd who figured all that out for us, told me what microphone to get so we'd sound better than, than a not-so-great microphone. And so I had to learn it. And I was really nervous about the conversation when he told me he needed to step away because I immediately got this feeling, we can't quit. We can't stop now. You know, we're almost to 140 episodes now, and... We release once a week on Tuesdays, and I just thought, I'm really enjoying this. I'm having fun with it. I feel like it's helping people based on some of the feedback we're getting. You know, we don't have millions of listeners, maybe like you do, but we, it seems to be beneficial for the people who are listening to, to the interviews, and I'm getting a lot out of it talking to these folks too. You know, I'm learning. It's like a master's class at night. I remember Amy Lewis saying that when she was doing the Geek Whispers a while back, and it, it rings true every time I think about it. And I, I got nervous about the conversation with John because I didn't want him to be hurt or anything by me suggesting 
that I wanted to carry the podcast forward while he was away. He thought he would be away for, you know, maybe three months. And so I just talked to him about it and said, Hey, John, how do you feel about me just taking it from here? And it was a, it was a easy conversation really. Cause John's a cool guy. He, he decided that the, you know, the podcast was, was more important than any ego he has kudos to him. So what I decided to do is I said, okay, look, I want to bother you the least amount possible, but I need to learn how to edit. So tell me everything, you know, in 30 minutes. And then from there, we'll just, I'll just send you random questions here and there. And that's kind of how I got started taking this on, on my own for several weeks. I'll just pause there. If you have any questions. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a cool story. And, um, I certainly do understand sort of, you know, the, the level of effort involved in, in producing a podcast. And in fact, I, I think I may have shared the story, you know, of, of how and, and why the full stack journey came to be part of the larger packet pushers network. And, and that is, it stemmed from a, a similar situation where, you know, I was doing all of the producing, uh, you know, recording the audio, getting the guests on, you know, writing up show notes, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then also doing all the audio editing uh, and production and all of that. <clears throat> and I guess one of the things that I learned out of that, and, and it might be story, it might be different from what you know you learned. I think you found that you enjoyed that. I found that I very much did not enjoy that part of, of producing a podcast, but I really enjoyed the process of being able to speak with folks and, and hear their perspectives and learn about various technologies or various approaches or whatever the case may be. And so I was very, very thankful to have the opportunity to join forces with uh, Ethan and Greg and Drew and the rest of the Packet Pushers crew um, so that, you know, I could continue producing the content and then they could take over sort of the minutia of, of actually publishing it. Um, but it does sound like if I recall correctly from, from the blog post that you were kind of the other way around, like you found that you enjoyed that sort of thing. Is that, is that right? So I really enjoyed everything but learning to edit. I had no desire learning that in any way, shape, or form. And I just kind of relied on John for it. So it was very easy for me to try and do as much of everything else as I could to not have to learn how to do that part. You know, when you are doing it on your own, you need to you need to learn how to do that and you need to learn how to do it quick so you don't miss release dates. And it's a little, it's a little tedious, as you know, which is why you decided to hand it off to a, another team of folks, which is awesome. That, that's the thing you realize, you know, you put a podcast out there and yeah, when you record, you're probably going to mess up or somebody else is going to mess up. You're going to need to edit that out. You want to make sure that your sound levels are about the same across your different guests. You want to have some time codes and helpful links and then you know, you need that metadata so that your listeners can look at the show notes and, and know what it's about. And all those things take time. If you're willing to spend the time and you believe that it's worth it and making an impact, then yeah, definitely do it. But don't go down that path thinking that, oh, I'm just going to hit publish and not do anything, any kind of editing. I don't think that's really realistic. Yeah, I will confess that when I first got into producing the Full Stack Journey, and we launched in early 2016, if I recall correctly, there was a, a thought of, oh, yeah, I'm just going to record this and then we're going to publish it and that's going to be that. And then and I had to learn, you know, OK, yeah, there's a there's a lot more to it than that in terms of, you know, where am I going to host the podcast files and 
getting it connected into iTunes and blah, blah, blah. So certainly a lot to it. Um, so, you know, let's, let's continue the story with you. You know, John needs to step away. He's, he's, he's buying a house and I understand that process. My wife's a real estate agent. So, you know, I get to like vicariously live through all of her clients. Plus we're building a house of our own right now. So we've got all that going on, but, um, it's an adventure for sure. <laughs> it is no doubt about it. No doubt about it. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's certainly, um, a, uh, can be very demanding on the time. And so I can certainly understand, you know, where, where John may have been coming from. So you asked him, you're like, okay, tell me everything I need to know. And then I'll, I'll hit you with questions. And then, and then how did things go from there? Let me just back up slightly because I want to cover the conversation with John. I, I mentioned that I was really nervous about it. And I think one of the things that John did was something called, he gave me an A. That's a concept out of the book, Art of Possibility by Benjamin and Rosamund Sander. Great read, by the way. And they tell the story of uh, an orchestra conductor. And he tells his students, hey, I'm giving you an A day one but your assignment is to write me a letter, write a letter to your, from your, write a letter to your present self, from your future self at the end of this course that explains how you kept your A, almost like a, a pre-postmortem <laughs> of success. And that process basically breaks any limits you had upon yourself and helps you believe that you can so John believed in the possibility, number one, that I could do it and carry it forward. And he understood that my intent was I'm doing this for the greater community and really to support my friend, right? I think he probably would have done the same for me if I had needed to, to step away in a heartbeat. And I had the cycles, you know, whether it be nice weekends to, to fill in and do that and learn it. And I'm way better for it. Well, that's a good point. Thanks for bringing that up. And I, I love this idea of giving people an A. Um, I'll include a link to the book in the show notes uh, for listeners so they can uh, explore that uh, that book in case they're interested. But um, so so he he gave you an A. You know, he's he's saying I believe you can do it. Um, I guess that meant that the you know the conversation you were you were fairly nervous about it, but I guess it meant the conversation went a lot better than perhaps you had, had thought it might. It went way better. You know, I was just worried about hurting his feelings. I didn't want to me saying, Hey, John, I'd like to keep this going, hurt his feelings. feel like I you don't want him to be a part of it because he's got a schedule conflict. And, you know, it, it was an unnecessary worry on my part. I, I should have given my friend the benefit of the doubt that he wasn't going to be egotistic, egotistical about it. He's actually one of the most inclusive dudes you're ever going to meet out there. Really good friend. Yeah, no, there was no need on my part to worry. I did that to myself. Well, it seems like we uh, often do uh, get ourselves in situations where we perhaps anticipate that a conversation or a transition, a job change, whatever the case may be, is going to end up being more difficult than it actually is. And uh, sometimes we make it more difficult than it needs to be. Um, but uh if there's a if there's a generic lesson to be taken away, perhaps that's one, and that is you know don't don't sort of prejudge uh, a change that you're you're facing in your life or a conversation that you need to have, but instead, um, you know, let it let it be what it is. Yeah, I mean, certainly be prepared for different outcomes, but don't just stick in your head of what's for sure going to happen because you really don't know. And 
one of the things I think is important to do as you interact with coworkers, family members, whoever it may be, make sure that your intent is very clear. Say it out loud. My intent is to, and I told them that. My intent is not to step on you by doing this, John. I was afraid this might hurt your feelings, but I really think I should keep going with it. And then when you're back, you're back and we can just keep going together. Yeah, that's great. That's perfect. So how did things progress after that? Well, <laughs> I had to learn to edit. He gave me his run book of things that he does to massage the audio files. I didn't even have Audacity installed on my computer. So I had to start with that. That was pretty simple to do. And then I go, okay, I need to learn what the commands are. So I got the, got the audio files from our online recording system. We use Squadcast, which is, is pretty handy. Get the audio files in there, put them in, put them in Audacity, line them up, do all the normalization, and then comes the note-taking and editing process. So you can cut parts out, you can cut out silence. And what I found was, as, I'm, as I have Audacity open, I'm trying to take notes like I normally would, right? Normally, I would just listen to a raw audio file that John would send me that would, that would take the tracks from each guest, you know, me, John, and, and a guest if we had one, and make that one audio file. Well, when you're working on it in Audacity, you've got a different track for each person. If somebody has background noise, you can go and, and mute that. So that takes a little bit of time to stop and mute it. You got to know where it is and, and that sort of thing. So I'm trying to take notes like I normally would and then come back to it, noting time codes, right? That Those would be the instructions I'd give John. He would go make the edits and really nothing more unless he just heard something out of the ordinary. Well, what I started to hear, Scott, and I don't know if this happens to you, but I started to hear a lot more of the ums come out in the conversation, a lot more of the accidental bump of the mic, a lot more of somebody's audio spike to a high level stuff that I never heard before when I was just doing the notes. It's almost like my ear got more finely tuned because I was doing the editing. And truth be told, you know, if it takes two to three times the length of an interview to take notes on it, probably just based on my typing speed, then it probably took, you know, four or five, six, maybe even seven times the length of an interview to actually do an edit. Number one, because I didn't know how and, didn't really know all the commands other than cut this out or clean this up and, <laughs> and the normalization tweaks. So it, it's an iterative process. And, and I really have not been able to, since I started doing the editing, I've not been able to just go and do notes. For me, it's like, okay, I've found the place that needs an edit. So I'm just going to make the edit right now and then keep going. So I'd be taking notes until I get to an edit point, make the edit, and then keep going. And my time codes would, would be accurate that way instead of backtracking it in the opposite direction. So it worked. It was just a super lengthy process. And I mean, maybe I'm lucky because I only have one kid, and a lot of times she likes to go to her grandmother's house on the weekends. So Saturdays were nerd journey days. You know, I'm spending most of the day editing the podcast because you know my wife is she doesn't need me to entertain her not that we wouldn't talk to each other but i i had the cycles to spend time on it i'm breaking into the podcast because we at packet pushes would appreciate it if you'd register for our live stream event with sponsor glueware coming up on september 28th 2021 
And why would you register for such an event? Well, there's a few reasons. One, you're going to learn about Glueware's intelligent, low-code network automation solution. We're going to talk to engineers at Glueware along with customers and integrators about what Glueware does and how folks use this network automation platform. Maybe even banging around with Ansible and Python for your automation stuff, and you'd like to understand what a low-code, multi-vendor platform can do for you. Cool. Sign up. Register. Free education so you know what your options are. Reason two, this is not a webinar. We are talking to humans packet pusher style and keeping slides at a minimum during this event. You're going to see some slides, right? Because sometimes you need them to help you understand things. But the focus of this live stream is going to be more on conversation and showing you the product itself. No death by PowerPoint while someone drones on and on. Last reason here, your registration information will not be shared with the sponsor unless you opt in. And Glueware is okay with that? You're wondering, yeah, they are okay with that. They, they get it. They know how we do things around here. They want you to opt in or reach out to them once you're ready to learn more. They don't just want a list of random names. They want to hear from engineers like you who want to hear from them. So join us on September 28th, 2021 for the live stream. Register via packetpushers.net slash livestream. I'll be there along with Greg Farrow and Drew Conray-Murray. We're going to be driving the conversations with the Glueware team, sharing your questions in real time, and keeping the event moving right along. Packetpushers.net slash livestream. And if you do register, thanks for that. It really helps us out here at Packet Pushers when you join live events like this because it makes them interactive and more valuable for everyone. Last time, packetpushers.net slash livestream. And now, back to the podcast. You know, I definitely do identify with the the filler words, which you know I just said. By the way, it's I'm sure it, I've said some too. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. We all do. There's really I have found there's very little that will do more to to bring that to your attention than listening to your own recording with an intention of of you know trying to edit the recording or whatever the case may be. I was in a in a presentation training class earlier in the week. In fact. Uh, an upcoming presentation i'm doing it at, a, at an event and the person leading the the presentation training just pulled a random video of mine off of a youtube where i had presented to a meetup group and it was, it was just the worst awful horrible thing because every other word was a filler word and i'm just stumbling all over my words and all this kind of thing it, just, it was it was awful and, and and that and to your point you know that's that's sort of what happens when you you get into doing this thing now that you're responsible for this other aspect of it. It's not just about taking notes, but it's also about grooming the audio to sound the way you want it to sound. And then all of these things that do affect the quality of the audio suddenly become very, very obvious to you. It's it's the filler words, it's the pauses, it's the, as you pointed out, the you know, bumping the mic or hearing somebody type in the background or background noise or whatever the case may be that you now have to, to address. You have to find a way to muted or cut it out or something of that nature. So I, I definitely can understand, understand that. I have to say, you know, just wow, the, the process of editing and taking notes at the same time, that was extraordinarily difficult for me. So kudos to you for being able to, to pull that off. It, it was extraordinarily time consuming when I tried to do uh, that early on in, in uh, the life cycle of, for, uh, for um, the full stack journey. And maybe that's the wrong way to do it. I fully admit that it probably is, but I just, I haven't been able to let myself not make the edit once I find one. It's almost like a, a seek and destroy mission. Okay, I just, I will feel better if I do this because I know it's there. And I think there's a lesson for everybody here in the realm of perfectionism, because if you edit out every filler word, it's not necessarily a realistic 
depiction of the way that person speaks. So you have to find some kind of balance in, okay, maybe I'll edit out 60 to 80% of the filler words and leave some in so that it sounds more realistic. You know, if you and I were to go back and forth for 45 minutes with no filler words, I'd be pretty incredible without any edits. And I think for me, it's been super hard to get to, all right, what's good enough? Like this is good quality. It's not perfect, but it doesn't have to be perfect to make an impact and help somebody else. To your point about your own session, that person referenced it. So it must have helped them in some way, even though you may hear the uhs and ums a lot louder, it doesn't necessarily mean that that person hears them louder. Maybe it's just something internal to yourself. Someone gave me the advice last week, actually. I was talking to a a colleague inside VMware, and she said, knowing when to stop at good enough has been something that's really helped me with time management. And I think we can all take a lesson from that, no matter what the task is. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. And it, it brings to mind definition of done, you know, in the software industry, we often talk about definition of done as in, you know, what, what, how, what are the criteria by which we can consider this project finished to this you know, piece of code that we're writing or this, you know, new application that we're developing, whatever the case may be, what, what does done look like? What does that mean? Right. And we, mm-hmm. we need to shoot for sort of that, that minimally viable product, you know, the MVP that is, maybe that's good enough, but it's certainly it's good enough for the first iteration, right? And you don't want to try and shoot for perfect because uh, one of my favorite sayings is that uh, perfect is the enemy of good, right? And in shooting for 100%. perfect, we often, in shooting for perfect, we often sort of miss the good things that we could accomplish because whatever it is we're working on isn't perfect. And Brad Pinkson, if you're out there listening to this episode, every time I get a perfectionism issue, I could hear you telling me that per- that uh, perfection is the enemy of complete. Yeah, definitely a lesson we could all we could all learn from for sure. And another thing here, when you're doing this solo, depending on how you format the show, for us, when we have a guest, we have an intro and an outro. Of course, that's pretty much standard, but we also give some kind of reactions, right? We give a, a little bit of a tease. Here's what's going to happen in the show. And then after that, we come back to just us giving a reflection. Here's what I thought was interesting. Let me add a thing or two if I have a thought. Well, again, the perfectionism got to me there sometimes too, because as you know, with a pre-recorded podcast or conference talk, the worst part about it is you can always re-record it. <laughs> you, you have the opportunity to redo it. So you have to decide, you know what? That was good enough. I'm not going to redo this because I hit the points I needed to hit. As you said, get the definition of done. So maybe my test plan is I'm going to install all these patches and test uh, a file share on three different servers. If I can hit those, check mark. I don't need to do all 100 because that wasn't part of the test plan that we defined for success criteria. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, you want to have these success criteria or, or, you know, completion criteria for, for lots of things, not just, you know, we do it in, in software. We do it in, as a, as an admin, as you pointed out, you know, I'm going to test these servers to make sure that the patch doesn't impact their, their functionality, but we need to do that in other aspects of our lives too. And and understand that 
you know, perfection is the enemy of complete. It is the enemy of good. Certainly, we want to strive to do our very best work, and we want to be open to finding new ways of producing our very best work. But we also need to recognize that sometimes that that our best work will come uh, as an iterative process. It may not be on the first pass. It may not be on the second pass. But on the third pass of doing something, you're going to reach that level where you are comfortable with the product that you've created, whether it be a demonstration video or a podcast episode or a blog post or whatever the case may be. Right. I feel like that is very synonymous with Seth Godin's book, The Practice. If anyone out there hasn't read that, it's actually a really good one and will probably make you want to start writing because his point is it doesn't matter if it's perfect. It just matters that you keep doing it, just like you said, and you will see the improvement as you go. That's what I tell my daughter. You know, she's very into art and she's been taking an art class and I'm like, look, it has to be good enough for you and you have to be okay with it being good enough. But even if it's not great, just keep doing it. Don't worry about whether it's the best work ever. Just keep doing it and you will get better if you practice in the right way. That is a great point. Absolutely. A great takeaway that um, I think a lot of listeners can, can apply in their own lives, you know, just keep doing it. I have people talking to me about, you know, blogging or, whatever the case may be, how do I get started? Just, just start writing, just start doing it. It's not going to be the greatest in the world. You're not going to have thousands of followers, but you know, honestly, it's okay. You're going to get better. Uh, The more you do it, the better you're going to get. And, and uh, so that's, that's really what I talk about. Um, So, you know, thinking about this experience, you know, John having to step away and some of the lessons that you learned, you know, what, what were some of the other things that sort of, you know, in, in addition to the sort of the, specifics, you know, I had to learn audacity and I I began to learn, you know, see these things or hear these things in the recording as I was taking notes and as I'm editing all that kind of thing, you know, what sort of general career recommendations do you think, you know, we could draw? I know you and I have touched on a few of those in terms of like, you know, don't, don't sort of predestine conversations or transitions to be hard and be prepared, but also be ready for them to be not as, as difficult as, as they were, you know, trust some of your colleagues and, and coworkers, when you have to have those conversations, you mentioned John's, you know, giving you an A, right? Um, uh, are, are there any other sort of things that you feel like, hey, this thing that I learned, I think is also applicable in a broader career context? Absolutely. So if you noticed, I put forth a lot of time, but I never burned out. I think my boss was concerned that I might burn out when I told him how much time I was spending on this, you know, whether that was a good or a bad idea. I did tell my boss that I was working on this on the, on the side and a couple other people. I don't think my wife ever worried about that because she knew how excited I was about it. But if you've never read Adam Grant's give and take, it's an excellent book about people's reciprocity styles. And he makes this, the chapter about uh, motivation maintenance and, it talks about that if you give in the right way, meaning give to help somebody, which that's what I was doing. I was giving my time to help the greater community and my friend, right? And even though it took a tremendous extra amount of effort on my part, I never burned out because it brought me so much more energy in knowing that I was doing it, not for me necessarily, but to help other people. You know, John White being numero uno there and to try and carry this 
I guess you call it labor of love that we've had for three years going to, to keep it going. So that's, that's one thing. If you're, if you decide to, to give, to help somebody else, you probably shouldn't be as fearful that you're going to burn yourself out. I remember there was some sort of study in the book that it didn't matter how much time it took people or how much extra time, but the, the giving in the right way, I think he calls it otherish giving, energized the people who were doing it so much that it brought that energy back into their day job and produced even better work there. That's cool. Um, I have not read that book, but I did recently read a book called The Go-Giver. I don't remember the author off the, type, off the top of my head. I'll have to look it up, but I'll put it in the show notes, which is a similar sort of story about how people can energize their career by being focused on giving in, in a way to help others, right? To, to, to mm-hmm. um, amplify the effect of your network um, by, by giving back, whether it be giving connections or giving time or giving uh, resources or whatever the case may be. And I think there's, so there may be some similarity there between, uh, between that book and uh, give and take that you referenced by Adam Grant. I'll have to read that one, Scott. Uh, if it's on Audible, then count me in. I'm an Audible junkie for sure. <laughs> awesome, awesome, great. I don't recall if it is, but I'll, I'll I'll look it up and we'll we'll find out. And again, listeners, I'll put a link in the show notes uh, to that so that you can find it if you're interested. So Something. okay, so reciprocity styles and giving giving for the right reasons. Uh, that's mm-hmm. good. What else? So something else to think about if you're on a small team or even if you're on a big one. For John and me, we had a scope of work, right? It was produce a podcast from beginning to end. And there were blind spots in that process that I didn't know because, you know, for my own failure to learn or be interested in that part. And I think that in some ways is how these silos get created in different companies. Maybe you've been siloed into a particular job and it's not a bad thing to go and learn about what one of your peers is doing especially if you're on a super small team and only a couple of people do X, it's important to do that cross training and have human redundancy so that someone else can carry the torch if you're not there or if the person who usually does this full time isn't there. The hope is that organizations see the value of this idea of cross training other people. Uh, I, I know of one company, for example, Every so often, they rotate their systems engineers into different areas, whether it be storage, network, um, virtualization, cloud. And every couple of years, they'll shuffle them up so that they get a view into a different area of expertise within the company and its technological footprint. But I would say two things here. Do some cross-training, but... Make sure that you also have a plan to learn new things and think about the, the learning of new things through the lens of what's going to help me grow the most where I am and then where I want to be. So if it's at your company and there's this adjacent area that maybe you interact with but don't know much about, learning about that adjacent area by just talking to someone else who does it. You know, For me, it was 30 minutes with John and then a bunch of questions after the fact Maybe it's you go and talk to somebody who's part of your process, but they do something different. Hey, tell me all the specifics of what you do. Maybe there's some way that I can change what I'm doing to make your job easier and we can eliminate or trim some fat off this process, make it more efficient, 
save the company money. And then I put those things that I've done and I learned in my little kudos folder so that when the next, hopefully the next one-on-one with my manager, I can share that and or the next performance review, I can say, look what I did to help trim this process off. I learned new skills and I became more valuable and marketable to the company I work for. And that way, if I wanted to then go and maybe jump into an adjacent area, maybe the opportunity is there for at my existing employer, if it's big enough, if it's a small shop, then maybe you you go to a bigger shop. But that could be a career opportunity for you through learning and bringing more value to the work you do. We interrupt the podcast to discuss network acceleration with sponsor Subspace. The Subspace product set is pretty easy to understand. They are all about getting your traffic from one place to another via the fastest possible route, faster than the internet itself would do it. Now... The internet isn't slow, so what's going on here? Network nerds might know a little about the complex decision process BGP goes through to select the packet forwarding path through the global internet. One of the key metrics in BGP path selection is AS path. The lower the number of autonomous systems in the path, the more likely that path is to be selected. But that doesn't mean BGP is choosing the fastest path. That's where Subspace comes in. Subspace has its own global network and it runs its own routing algorithm to be sure that your traffic is getting from point A to point B via the fastest path possible. If you have applications where latency matters, you really, really care about this. Any latency you can shed will improve the user experience for your real-time applications. Uh, Okay, so what do we mean by real-time applications? So think voice and video applications, including SIP, gaming, fintech, transportation, database synchronization. In my network engineering career, I've had to support fintech voice, video, and database sync over transcontinental distances, and latency was the enemy I have always had to work around. I know subspace can't change the laws of physics, but they can give your real-time apps an edge with what they describe as a faster internet. Subspace promises to improve not just latency, but also loss and jitter, another enemy of the real-time application, because if the packets don't show up on time or at all, they just don't matter and the user misses out. Subspace is developer-friendly with a full API and inline DDoS mitigation that keeps the app running even in the face of the bad guys doing bad guy things, and Subspace makes it easy to get started. There's a free tier of their global IP proxy packet accelerator product that lets you test if Subspace is right for your application. There are several other products designed for specific use cases you can explore, many of them with pay-as-you-go pricing. To get started, visit ftl.app slash packetpushers. That is, one more time, FTL dot app slash packet pushers and if you do rock up on their doorstep tell them you heard about them on the packet pushers podcast network thank you for doing that and our thanks to subspace for being a sponsor yeah that's a that's a great uh, great suggestion something we've we've touched on in various episodes of of this podcast in in the in the past breaking down silos and you know, we've covered it in from the perspective of you know networking engineers going over and learning more from the sysadmins or the sysadmins going and talking to the network engineers or both groups engaging the security team uh, and and all of those groups being IT centric you know engaging more with the business to see and understand how what they do within IT directly impacts the business and how the business can in turn impact IT and you know, the symbiotic relationship. We don't exist for the sake of technology. We exist as technology professionals to enable our, our organizations to do, you know, whatever it is they do. Sometimes that's technology. 
uh, when you work for a technology company, but sometimes it's, you know, making widgets or something of that nature. And so understanding certainly what we do as sysadmins or as storage admins or network admins or, you know, WAN engineers or whatever the case may be, understanding how those things impact the business gives us insight, helps us understand better how to do what we do and do it for the benefit of, you know, business initiatives, right? And all of that, I think, is just super important in terms of understanding what our coworkers are doing, understanding how we fit into the business as a whole, how, how what we do affects others and how what others do affects us. All of that, I think, is just so, so valuable in helping people understand, hey, there might be some things that I need to change so that I can make you know, my coworkers' life easier and, and not make them have to jump through hoops to do something, whether it's producing a report in a specific format or something of that nature. By the same token, being able to share with other coworkers and say, hey, you know, if I was getting this input in this particular way, that would save me, you know, an hour every week. Um, and, you know, if it's not any harder for them, then, hey, that's great, right? This is a great a, a way to, as you put, you know, trim the fat from a process. So all of that is yeah. super, super important. Think of it like, the think of it as analogous to app dependency mapping, but for people in process dependency mapping, you know, there's the tool to analyze those things is you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great analogy. Love it. Something else, Scott, that I would point out is I had to handle these interviews solo. And if you're interviewing somebody, you, you have different styles of people, right? You have different people that come on the show and maybe they, they don't give a super long answer. Not that that's bad, right? They answered your question. It's just that some folks might answer it and then start talking about something else or add a little more to it, which gives you time to think of the next question because you want to keep the conversation going as the interviewer. So for me, I had to learn to ask better questions. I didn't have John White to play off of so that I could think while he was asking all these intelligent questions. It was just me. You know, what, what smart questions can I ask or, you know, hope they're smart questions and get some good information, get this person's story out there so that the career lessons will be relevant to our listeners. And for all of us, are we asking good questions of the people around us to really understand their story, right? Showing empathy and to, uh, to our fellow humans, but even asking the right questions about the things that we are looking to learn about and how we can help others in our careers. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. And I would say closely related to that is honing our listening skills. So when you do ask that question and, and, and then the person comes to respond, like really listen to what they're saying instead of being so focused on how you might respond. Uh, that's something that I have taken personally is, is, so many times in a conversation, we get caught up with how, how we're going to respond to what the person's saying rather than actually listening and pausing our own thought process and, and like really taking in what that person has to say and, and trying to like get the most out of that, right? To really, to really assimilate what, it, what the information that they're sharing rather than, okay, how am I going to respond to that? If that makes any sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. And you need to sometimes reflect it back. Hey, I heard you saying this because the person speaking, you know, me speaking to you, you speaking to me, we need to know that the other understands the person who was speaking. And if, if you're talking to somebody who feels like you, like you didn't listen to them, 
then they're just going to get upset with you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Correct. Well, I'm, I'm watching the time on our recording, Nick, and I want to make sure that we don't run too long for the listeners. I'm having some empathy from my listeners here. Uh, but um, uh, I did want to give you a moment just to perhaps share any final thoughts about the experience and any, any final things that you wanted to share with listeners before we wrap up. I would say final thoughts are don't be afraid to grow. Do something you didn't know if you could do. Right. I didn't know if I could actually do it, but I was pretty determined and I had the time to figure it out and it produced a lot of energy. But also, it's important to know your limits. John did a really good job of recognizing it was better for him to completely step away than doing mediocre work because he knew that was needed. He knew his limits. And it's okay to stop doing something if you have a priority that gets in the way. Something career related can wait if you need to focus on your family. Nothing wrong with that. I think we have trouble setting something down, even if it's temporarily. So after we've been doing it for a long time, it's that, I guess, loss aversion in some way. But he was doing it for the right reason, and it was a more important reason. I'll also say, if you haven't read about Theory of Constraints by Elihu Goldratt, he has some really good books, The Goal, which was a lot of the underpinnings of what we saw in the Phoenix Project. Uh, that's those are some good things that kind of apply to this pipeline of of making podcasts because each one is at a at a different stage in the pipeline and we think of code pipelines and manufacturing pipelines if you will but if you if you want to know more or or chat with me outside of this you can hit me up on twitter at networknerd underscore you can find my blog blog.thenetworknerd.com hit me up on linkedin and of course Check out Nerd Journey. That is nerd-journey.com or in your favorite podcatcher. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much, Nick, for being on the show. I loved the the lessons we were able to extract out of your own experience and in, in you know becoming more involved in other aspects of producing your podcast. It's great. And I think there's some fantastic lessons here for the listeners. So thanks so much for your insight and uh, for being willing to share that. You bet. Thanks so much, Scott. Absolutely. Thank you. Listeners, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Full Stack Journey podcast, where we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional. I do appreciate you giving us some time to listen to the show. And as always, we're open to your feedback or to suggestions you may have for future shows and uh, future episodes. Feel free to reach out to me, Scott Lowe, as at Scott underscore Lowe on Twitter. You can reach the podcast directly as at FSJ podcast also on Twitter. And of course, episodes are available on the Packet Pushers website at packetpushers.net and in a variety of uh, iTunes, uh, you know, Stitcher, Google Play, et cetera, et cetera, a variety of podcast publication platforms. So thanks again for joining us for the Full Stack Journey podcast, where too much learning would never be enough. Mm-hmm.